Open your Bibles with me to John 12. This is one of the harder tasks I've had in my life, was to go through six chapters and try to figure out what to say in a few minutes. It only took 48 sermons to do it the first pass. There's 205 verses. I can't read them all to you. That would take half of my time. John chapter 12. We want to start with John 12 because it's the last week and we found some wonderful things in John 12. Look at the first verse of John 12 so that we get a timeline here. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover. Okay? So we're in the final week of our Lord's life. Then chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end, and supper being ended. So now we've reached the night before. We've reached Passover. Then we go to chapter 14, verse 31. He's in that upper room in chapter 13. He's in the upper room in chapter 14. The last verse and the last sentence of verse 31, Arise, let us go hence. So they begin the walk back to Bethany, chapter 15, chapter 16, and verse 1 of chapter 18 tells us when Jesus had ended these words, that is the words that we're going to look at today, he went forth with his, with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden, and that's Gethsemane, into the which he entered and his disciples. So there's our timeline. It's the last week of our Lord's life. And we've got six chapters in the Gospel of John. And if I have to quit in the middle of this, we're going to quit in the middle of this because we're only going to a certain point in time. Do you really need to know that point in time? <laughs> it's, it's not very far away. And this page has been prepared for you, and I had great pleasure preparing it. I, I only had um, 245 outline pages to go through to try to summarize it to one page. When I, when I talked to my brother yesterday, and I told him I've got it all reduced to one page, he said, impossible. <laughs> but I hope that this little schematic of the six chapters might help you review these passages of scripture that the Lord's taught us right. so that you can see it all together and pick your favorite chapter, pick your favorite section. I reduce the outline for each chapter to four main points with a couple sub points under each one just to make it equal in uh, emphasis for each chapter, though some of those chapters had other small points that numbered more than just the eight that I'm showing for each chapter. I hope that it might help you. Just going through it, for me, and I had studied these six chapters quite a bit, uh, back and forth and in and out, from the inside, outside, from the outside, inside, to, to get it like this, and then to compare it and to see it summarized was just helpful to me. And I hope it's helpful to you as well. But uh, so much for the way of introduction. Uh, we're in Bethany because it's John chapter 12. And in the first 11 verses of John chapter 12, we have three people that love the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus loved them. Do you remember when I emphasized that? Are you one person like Lazarus, Martha, and Mary? Those three loved Jesus exceptionally and he loved them exceptionally. Right. And we wanted to be like Mary because she broke an expensive, costly box of alabaster ointment to anoint Jesus 
for his death, and she has been remembered for 2,000 years for her kindness to the Lord. If you remember that particular Sunday, we asked, are we anointing the feet of Jesus? What are we doing in our lives to anoint the feet of Jesus? When I look at Mary, I wonder why the apostles didn't want to do something like that. Let's give some credit to this woman. This woman did not sit there and wring her hands and her heart wasn't troubled and Jesus had to comfort her. She anointed his feet. Jesus is going to have to wash the apostles' feet. Jesus is going to have to comfort them. She's the one that comforted him by anointing his feet. Let's be like her. And you know all the rest. I can't say any more about that point. You know what Judas Iscariot said because he was a thief. And you know Jesus said, you've always got the poor, but you don't always have me. Right. And, we, and so he, it's all about him in John chapter 12. And so we want to make it him right there. When we come down to verse 12 and run it all the way to verse 19, the Lord Jesus Christ had a triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and the Lord inspired children to be crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David! Hosanna to the King of Israel! He had his triumphant entry, and while it's not told us here in John, the Pharisees said to Jesus, Do you hear what they're saying about you? Tell them to be quiet. That's blasphemy. And Jesus said, If they were to be quiet, the stones themselves would cry out, Amen. Hosanna to the Son of David. And, and that's a tremendous passage right there. To see that the Lord Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem that way, fulfilling the prophecies about Messiah, and on both sides... Both sides of that little passage, the Jews are conspiring to kill him. Amazing blindness. And we'll more on that in the end of this chapter. Let's go to the third section. And I consider this the, the key section of John 12. And we only spent about 20 sermons on it. Maybe 10. Uh, it's verses 20 through 36. And let me just pull out three things that you'll remember. Verse 21, sir, we would see Jesus. These Greeks didn't want to meet the apostles. They wanted to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And then verse 24, Jesus said, well, i got to get verse 23, because the hour has come, the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus was always looking for his glorification. And he's going to get glorified by his death. So he, he, see, he mentions the glory right off the bat. But in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And by the death of Jesus Christ, a plant grew, and it's the kingdom of God. And it's all of God's elect that were the fruit of his seed being put in the ground for three days and three nights. And what a wonderful seed that was, because the seed came back out as well. You know, usually the seed is lost to give you the tree. But we get the seed and the tree. Amen. It's just beautiful. But then we get over to verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die, because crucifixion lifts up a body. And he's going to turn the world system upside down. Did you know that there was a craft in Ephesus of Turkey? Our modern Turkey. Right. Ephesus what craft was going out of existence? Idol making. Why? Jesus by his apostles was turning the world upside down. Right. 
There were believers bringing their witchcraft books and burning them in the streets to the tune of 50,000 pieces of silver because of this prophecy right here. We spent a little time here because we, our Jesus is in charge of this world. Our Jesus has judged this world. He's dashing the nations in pieces and so forth, and we've got to come to the, the last section. It's verses 37 through 50. And it's the prophecy of blindness that's fulfilled. Look at verse 38. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Very few. Because verse 37 says, Though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. And then they quote, then it's quoted from John chapter 6, verse 40. He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Isaiah 53, Isaiah chapter 6, prophecies of the blindness of Israel. Verse 42, there were many chief rulers that believed, but they wouldn't confess Jesus because they were afraid of men and thought they would lose their place in the synagogue. So in John chapter 12, we have his three special friends anointing him. We have his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, his glorious victory over death in this world, and to be lifted up to save us Gentiles, and why the Jews didn't believe. Because they had turned their backs on so many prophets, God blinded them to their own Messiah. John chapter 13. He loved them. Unto the end, the first verse tells us, Jesus kept loving his apostles right to the very end. The night in which he was going to be betrayed, arrested, tortured, tried, and crucified the next day. He washed the apostles' feet in verses 1 through 17. This is the Last Supper. He washed the apostles' feet, and there was a whole lot more to this than just washing their feet. Because he made several references to Peter. You don't know what I'm doing right now, Peter. Well, if it was just washing feet, Peter knew exactly what he was doing. But what he was doing was giving the apostles a demonstration of humble service to each other to maintain the unity of Psalm 133. And to maintain the unity that Jesus is going to pray for in John 17, that the eleven and we and he and his father might all be one. And this is how we do it. We've got to humble ourselves and serve each other. And that was 17 verses there. Then we go to verses 18 through 32. Judas is identified as the betrayer. No one recognizes him except Jesus, who had known all along that he was a devil. And it troubled the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine for three and a half years, companying with these men, eating with them, being housed together, either, either in the open or in a house, And one of them is a devil, and you know he's going to betray you. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ went through on earth for us. He was a man of sorrows for good reason. Verses 33 through 35, this is the commandment to love, and it's not the only one we're going to get in these chapters. Even though it's the same night, we're going to get the commandment repeated. Verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. That maintains unity. As I have loved you, look at how I have loved you. Make sure that you love each other that way. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Love shows the most radical change in a person. Faith is not the most radical change. Love is. You can still be selfish and believe, but you can't be selfish in love. It is the most radical change of the human nature. So Jesus said, 
This is how they're going to know that you're mine. By loving each other. And you've already heard that this morning. And then he foretold Peter's denial of him in the last three verses of this chapter. Simon Peter was a very ambitious and zealous apostle. Impulsive at times, but he knew the Lord was leaving him. And he wanted to show his loyalty. But the Lord had other purposes for Peter, and that was to allow him to fail that night. Jesus could have prayed before and and kept Satan from him. But the Lord Jesus let that happen. And sometimes the Lord lets things like that happen to us to humble us. Peter was a different man in John chapters 20 and 21. And he was a better man for Acts chapters 1 and 2 because of this event. And so when when we have things like this happen in our lives, we want to be careful about condemning them and resenting them when they can bear fruit. Because the Lord Jesus does pray for us. And he did pray for Peter. And he said, when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. That's the Last Supper. That's John chapter 13. John chapter 14. And if you think we're going fast, you just ought to watch that clock. It's back there spinning like it's trying to get off the wall. John chapter 14. This is the promise of the Comforter. We've got four sections here as well. And by the grace of God, verses 1 through 11 are hope of heaven and the Father. And I've already mentioned this because earlier this morning, I mentioned verses 2 and 3 and read them to you. Because in my Father's house are many mansions. We understand that to be apartments in the house of God in heaven. And he's going to prepare a place for us and he's going to come back so that we can be there with him. He He is the only way to the Father and he's the only way to the Father's house. He's the only way to heaven, verse 6. And he's one with the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He tells us that in verses 1 through 11. Then we have the second section of chapter 14 is verses 12 through 20. He promises apostles power. And he starts it out this way. Uh, in, in verse, we want verse uh, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that's plural, for his apostles, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now that, that just didn't make sense, because he was their source of power. He had laid hands on them and ordained them and sent them out, and they had powers over de- devilish spirits, and they came back rejoicing about their power over spirits. But he said, you're going to be able to do what I did, and you're going to be able to do greater works with me gone. Now, how's he, how are they going to be able to do that with him gone? Because he's going to leave the Holy Spirit with them and in them. Amen. And so verses 12 through 20 of John 14 are certainly some of the most important of these six chapters. The Holy Spirit as personal comforter. Do you remember verse 18? I will not leave you comfortless. You men, I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going. You're troubled by me going but I will not leave you comfortless. I will comfort you by the comforter that I will send you. And it's in verse 16. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Jesus was pretty confident in his praying to the Father that he may abide with you forever. I've only been with you three and a half years. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you forever. Not only in your lifetime, but in the lifetime of those that believe on your word, and in the lifetime of those that believe after that, which gets down to us. The Holy Spirit is with us forever. The presence and power of God in our lives to do everything that God expects from us. Then there's the promise of love. 
and, and manifestation of God in verses 21 through 27. If I had to pick a favorite section of mine, it's right here, John 14, 21 through 27. I'm sorry, but I'm just blown away, and I hope you know it when we preach those through those verses. Verses 21 and 23 are just too good to be true. That, that there's, an offer, there's an offer in verses 21 and 23 that transcends everything else because if all, you, if all you want to do is walk with God and have Him love you and you love Him and have your love of Him be such that He wants to love you more for it, it's in verses 21 and 23. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. For a person to have faith in God and, and obey, God already loves them. But when they do it, and the more they do it, the more the Father loves them. And then in verse 23, because Judas, not Iscariot, asked in verse 22, Lord, how can you manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? He explained, it's going to be by the Spirit. Through verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And we will manifest ourselves more to him. There's been Enoch's in the world. I want to be an Enoch. I know there are men and women in here that want to be an Enoch. Enoch walked with God. Moses saw God face to face. Abraham was the friend of God. I know there are men and women in here that want to be... Anyway, that's my favorite section. That's the clock. I'm not addressing anyone. But that's, that's right there. God's love and presence promised. We're in the third sector, third section third segment of John chapter 14 and the peace of Christ that was given to them against fear. And then trust in the greatest father. And that's poor, poured wording there. And I'll maybe get that corrected. But Jesus here says, my father is greater than I. You want me to go to the father. If you, if you're wise, man, you want me to go to the father because my father is greater than I. And if I'm with him, we're going to have access to greater power, greater presence greater blessings than you've had with me. So that's, that's the Holy Spirit that we get because Jesus is with the Father, having won the victory, sat down at the right hand of God and gives out spoils of victory to us. John chapter 15. What changes between John 14 and John 15 in the, in the way of logistics or location or venue? They start walking because the end of chapter 14 says, Arise, let us go hence. And now we're on the road. It is a full moon. We don't know if there's clouds or not. But it's Passover, so there's a full moon. And they're on the road, and they've got a couple miles to go, and it's 12 men. It's the Lord of glory and 11 apostles. And he keeps teaching them. And so we have chapter 15. The first section is the first eight verses, which I would assume that many of you know quite well, and that is Jesus as the vine and we as the branches. And if we stay in him, and if those apostles stayed in him, how do we stay in him? By faith and obedience. Right. Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Faith and works. Faith and obedience. It doesn't vary from that. Faith and obedience, then you can bear fruit. You men will have a productive, prosperous ministry Lives will be changed, and you will have fruit to your account if you'll abide in me. If you get outside me, and you don't abide in me, and you start doing it in the flesh, you start doing it by natural means, you're going to fail, and I'll judge you. Remember that? We didn't like that verse very much. or you know, we, we don't like it very... 
In verse 6, if a a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That doesn't mean going to hell for not bearing fruit. It means being judged in this life and we went through that when we were at that section. Now we come to the second section of John 15. And it's the priority of brotherly love and abiding in Christ's love. Oh, Look at verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Can we slip from Christ's love of us in the way of fellowship and greater manifestation of him? Yes, we can. We can lose that wonderful, affectionate relationship with Jesus Christ by disobedience. And so he starts right off this section about love. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. That's, we've already been taught this, so it, it wasn't hard to understand that from, chapter 14, from chapter 14 that if you'll believe on me and you'll keep my commandments, my Father will love you more and I will love you more. And so that's being taught here as well. Amen. And then he says this in verse 11. It's not just love, it's joy. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. God saved us to be happy. And I am not a prosperity gospel preacher, but God saved us to be happy. We can be happy down here, even when we're in a dungeon of a prison in Philippi of Macedonia, Greece. And we're going to be happy in heaven because there's not going to be anything to make us sad. But he wants us to have joy fulfilled in us now. Remember 1 John chapter 1? These things have I written unto you, that your joy may be full. Full joy. And here's the commandment again about brotherly love, verse 12. This is my commandment. He just said it in chapter 13, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And then he explains that real love is sacrificial, that a man is willing to lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. I'm going to lay myself down for you. Don't think that I'm leaving you and forsaking you. I picked you to be my friends. You didn't pick me. Remember all that? From John chapter 15. Well, here it is. Right there. Then we come to verse 18 through 25. The world hated Jesus first, but the world is going to hate those apostles because Jesus was hated for what reason? He exposed their sins. They had a cover for their sins until I came along. Then when I came along and identified their sins and exposed them, they hated me for that. And guess what ministry he's going to give to these 11 men? They're going to go out and, I need an R word, the world. Reprove the world. The world's going to hate them. Because Jesus is going to leave and they're going to take over his work of reproving the world. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, which is chapter 16. But so he warns the apostles in chapter 15 about the world hating them. And the world's going to hate us the more we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we come to verses 26 and 27 at the very end. And those verses that we just covered, 18 through 25, are pretty gory. They're pretty ugly about what's going to happen to the apostles. People are going to think they're doing God a service when they kill you. John wondered with great admiration in, John, in Revelation chapter 17. Right. When John saw the vision of the Roman Empire and a church on her back, on its back, riding into power, and she had a chalice full of fornications and abominations of the earth, he wondered with great admiration because it was a church. Couldn't believe it. What in the world is a church drunk with the blood of the saints? And right here, 
when they kill you, they're going to think that they're pleasing me. And see, the Jews thought that they were getting rid of, what did the Apostle Paul say? King Agrippa, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. Because he thought he was keeping God's word by getting rid of this blasphemer named Jesus until the Lord met him. And you know the rest of that story. And we thank the Lord for that story. But the last two verses of John 15, in spite of all that, but, men, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And those two verses are worthy of a section themselves because the Holy Spirit's ministry is to testify of Jesus Christ. It is not to testify of the Spirit. It's not to testify of the anointing. It's to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ye also shall bear witnesses, because ye have been with me from the beginning. You eleven men are special, because you are from Galilee and Nazareth and and Capernaum, and you have been with me my whole ministry, and the Holy Spirit's going to fill you, and you're going to bear witness to the truth, and you're going to bear witness to me. So though the world's going to hate you, you're going to have a great ministry. Now at this point, they're still quaking. Right here, they're still quaking. Peter is still capable of denying the Lord Jesus Christ rather quickly. But after Pentecost, they aren't. After Pentecost, they jumped up in front of any crowd, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, and declared Jesus Christ. Peter stands there. He's got this man bouncing beside him. Like he's trying to work on his vertical jump. And all the the Jewish leadership is standing there saying, what in the world's going on? And he said, if we're being questioned by what authority or by what name that we've healed this man, this man right here, let it be known unto you all that it was Jesus of Nazareth. They were full of the Holy Ghost, and all they could talk about was Jesus. They knew they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they knew they had been with Jesus. Philip opened the scriptures of Isaiah 53 and preached unto him, Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved other than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Silver and gold have I none. Let's go back to the man on the ground. Before he's bouncing, he's on the ground. Silver and gold have we none. But what we have we give thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That's John. Those men went through hell on earth for us to have heaven on earth. To have the gospel and the joy and glory of the prospect of heaven. We come to John chapter 16. After all that warning about the persecution that they're going to have, there's further prophecy of that persecution in the first 11 verses of John chapter 16. And then it tells us why. Oh, we see why. Verse 8, And when he is come, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit does not always come like a dove. The Holy Spirit does not always come with charismatic type excesses and distortions. This Holy Spirit comes with reproof for the world, condemning their ignorance, condemning their idolatry, condemning their immorality, condemning them and warning them that judgment is coming and Jesus Christ is coming to judge them all. Verse 8, when he is come, the Holy Spirit, into his apostles, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, 
because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Amen. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in verses 1 through 11 there in John chapter 16. Then we come to verses 12 through 15. These verses were a little obscure, not 13. 13 is not obscure. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. How much did the apostles know in Acts 1? Next to nothing. Acts 1 is when they asked Jesus, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's Acts 1. What did they know in Acts 2? Everything. Everything. Peter was able to pull scriptures together and just go off for Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 on the day of Pentecost. Right. Both, cha both chapters. It, it's, it was fabulous because of the first half of John 16, 13. It's a key verse. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now remember, what's the Holy Spirit going to hear? What did the Holy Spirit hear to give them? Everything Jesus wanted them to have. And what did Jesus want them to have? Everything God wanted them to have. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to the Spirit. And the Spirit was their personal tutor in his absence in heaven. Do you remember going over that? Yes. He shall hear. And then he'll give you those things. Who's he going to hear? Them? Their Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. He wasn't forsaking them. He wasn't leaving them comfortless. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Right. I, all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Knowledge comes from God to Jesus to the Spirit. And you know the Spirit had it all to begin with. But as far as his mediatorial relationship with the apostles, Jesus gave it to the Spirit. Make sure they learn this scope and sequence. Okay? And we, we covered that. I'm not, I'm not, it's obvious. John chapter 16, it's just a wonderful promise there that they're going to have everything they need for their ministries. Because when you look at verses 8 through 11 and you think of ignorant fishermen from Galilee, they're going to go out and hit this world up and they're going to stand before philosophers and kings and they're going to stand before religious leaders and priests of all kinds of religions and they're going to reprove them. Can you imagine those men? What am I going to say? How am I going to do it? Right there. The Holy Spirit's going to give you everything you need. And did they ever have everything they needed? Amen. Let me chase this just a few more seconds. Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 6? Stephen. He was a deacon. He wasn't an apostle. The entire Jewish combined leadership could not refuse what he was arguing from the scriptures. So they stoned him. They couldn't handle him, so they killed him. And he was a deacon. This is what the Holy Spirit's able to do. It's why we pray for more of the Holy Spirit to understand his scriptures. The third section of John chapter 16, remember? Verse 16, a little while and ye shall not see me. And again a little while and ye shall see me. Because I go to the Father. You're not going to see me, you're going to see me. And it goes on for several verses that way. Because of the resurrection... And the resurrection is going to give them great joy. They get this bad news. They get this bad news, John 15 and 16, that they're going to be persecuted. And they get the bad news that Jesus is leaving them and going where they can't go now. They're going to come later by death, but they can't go now. 
So persecution and no Jesus. What's going to happen to us? Well, you're going to really be sad for about three days. Then you're going to really be happy, and no one is going to take that happiness away from you. Do you remember that? Then you're going, to be ha- you're going to be like a woman giving birth. I mean, when she's in labor, she ain't thinking happy thoughts. All she wants to do is get that baby out. But once the baby's out, and they bring it to her, and she nurses it, and coozing, oozing eyes over it and all that stuff, and plays with its hair and looks at its little fingernails and its little eyelashes, then she's happy. And you're going to be happy just like that, and no man is going to be able to take that from you. They're going to rip you with a Roman scourge. They're going to tie you up on a rack and pull you apart. They're going to drop you in a, in a tub of oil and try to boil you to death like they did to the Apostle John. But since he wouldn't boil, they put him on the Isle of Patmos. They're going to do all these things to you, and they're going to kill you. But don't worry, no man's going to be able to take your joy away because I conquered death, and I'm in heaven, and I'm coming back for you. That's, that's what he said. It's all about the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three days brought the apostles joy. Then verses 23 through 33, the last 11 verses, it's the power and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember? You men are going to be able to pray in a new way. No one had ever prayed to the Father through Jesus' name. We take it for granted because we just pop it out every prayer we make. In Jesus' name, amen. But they had never prayed that way before. And he's telling them, men, when, if you're going to think you're lonely, but I'm telling, where am I going to be? I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father. You call on the Father in my name, and you'll get everything you ask for. <laughs> it's just beautiful in here. Do you remember? Do you remember this? And then he says then in verse 27, you don't need me anymore. You don't need me to do all the praying for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. You don't need me to pray for you. All you need to do is pray to the Father in my name. Just mention me. Because you've believed that I'm he, and you've loved me, my Father is going to turn the universe inside out to make sure you get what you need. Now I'm feeling a great deal of regret and remorse because I'm getting close to the end. And what, what am I going to do next? A summary of a summary? We're about to leave these six chapters. And these are wonderful chapters. Yeah. Amen. Apostles' faith in Jesus and victory. Notice what the apostles said in verse 30. Look, there was a benefit from all this time the Lord spent with them. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things? And needest not that any man should ask thee, by this we believe, that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Men, I know what I've just told you in the last few chapters. It's going to be ugly. Judas Iscariot's going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. They're going to kill you and think they're doing God of service by killing you. They're going to persecute you and chase you all over the place. It is going to be bad. You're going to leave me alone. But I want to use me as an example, Jesus said to them. I'm not really alone. The Father's with me. And the Father's going to be with you through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be with you through the Holy Spirit. And by the way, 
now that we think about it, be of good cheer about the whole thing. Because in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John chapter 17. The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's intercessory prayer to his Father in heaven for the eleven, just hours or minutes before he is to be arrested, tortured, tried, crucified. The first section is the first five verses. We've been over this very recently. It should be fresh in your memories. Jesus always sought his Father's glory in verse 1 and then in verse 4 and then in verse 5. And it's all based on the great work of giving eternal life to scumbags like you and me. And by scumbags, I mean below the fallen angels. I mean, we are down. And the gift of eternal life to us, to know our Father in heaven. Remember the big happy family? The purpose of eternal life? For God to have an only begotten Son, and that only begotten Son to have a whole lot of brethren that will be joint heirs with him of the universe? That's the gift of eternal life. For all of us to know the Father like the Son knows the Father and for us all to have a big happy family with eternal life forever and us knowing the Father and the Father bestowing good things upon us for eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts out, is there anything in there about I'm really scared? Not in front of his disciples. I want to tell all of you men something. If you need to have a funk, then go out in the woods and have a funk. Don't ever have a funk in front of your family. Don't ever have a funk in front of this church. If you've got to have one, go out in the woods. If you've got to camp for a couple of days, camp for a couple of days. If you've got to go for a long drive, like from here to Seattle and back, go for a long drive. But don't have your funk in front of your family. Men don't do that. Don't have a funk in front of the church. Men don't do that. Leaders can't do that. They can't ever do that. Jesus didn't do it. The point point I'm trying to make is Jesus didn't do it. Notice, we know how he prayed just a few minutes after John 18.1. We know how he prayed, but he didn't pray that way in front of his apostles. He prayed this way in front of his apostles. First five verses were for reciprocal glory between God the Father and him around the accomplishing of eternal life for you and me. Then verses 6 through 19 is the second section. 6 through 19, he's praying for the apostles, but we saw that in verses 6 through 10, there's no requests. It's him reasoning by his God's gift of those apostles to Jesus and by their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Then he had three requests. Are you looking at that little outline? Look at the little outlines for you. I worked very... I didn't do anything. I tried to. I wanted to give you something visual that you could see. That second section, he first of all reasoned by God's gift of the apostles to him and their faith in him, and he reminded God of that. I gave these men your word, and they received your word. They believed your word. Don't you think they deserve some special treatment? Then he had three prayer requests, and it wasn't for them to lower their body fat or to increase their income. It was for their unity, verses 6 through 19, their safety from the world, and their sanctification by the truth of God. Remember remember those things? And see, these are important things. 
The, why do we have a prayer meeting on Thursday evening? Because we want to pray like the Lord Jesus Christ prayed. And he didn't care about the things that most of you care about. Because there were more important things. And I don't mean that cruelly. There's more important things. I believe if we put the more important things first, he'll take care of the other things. That's why we do it. Because look at these prayer requests. Unity. Safety from the world. And holiness. So this Thursday is going to be joy. Last Thursday was righteous relationships. Because we want those things that are important. Righteous relationships, another way of saying, unity. We want those things that God wants. Those of you that don't attend the prayer meetings, you tell me where your hearts are. You tell the Lord where your hearts are. It's very simple. Your hearts are on this plane. They're in this world. They're not on heavenly things. Churches pray together. Private prayer doesn't matter to God because it's not the only prayer that you're supposed to be having. We pray together. Churches are supposed to pray together. When Peter got out of prison, he went to Mary's house because there was a prayer meeting there. We pray with each other. If you want to pray at home, pray at home. But pray with us as well. But the emphasis I want to make right here is when we look at the Lord's Prayer, you know, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, as it's commonly called in Matthew chapter 6, and our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and I'm not mocking that prayer at all, it doesn't say very much. It says, give us this day our daily bread, and help us forgive our enemies, as, help us, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. But when we get the Lord Jesus praying and really elevating requests above daily bread, Look at what it is. That's, that's why John 17 is important to us. You know, in the past, we used John 17 for verses 2 and 3. Sometimes verse 9 if we didn't understand verse 9. But we hardly ever use the rest of John chapter 17. What's verses 2 and 3? It's about eternal life. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. There's three gifts of eternal life. And see, we have waxed eloquent and long on those three gifts of eternal life many times. Are you with me? We've gone to John 17, and we've usually gone into John 17, 2 and 3. But when we look around John 17, 2 and 3, we get verses 1 and 4 and 5, and it's all about the glory of God. Is, is our life committed to the glory of God? Right. That's what we want. Then when we go to verses 6 through 19, we find out that there's three preeminent prayer requests, and we heard one of them this morning from Psalm 133. And the Apostle Paul taught it in every single epistle, that we would be united. So there's unity in the church, safety from the world, which we hardly need to pray for, because we're not persecuted like the apostles were, though we do have enemies, and then that we would be sanctified in holiness. And so at some of these prayer meetings, we've had holiness as our prayer request. Because we want to pray this way. I, do, I will not, while I'm living, our church will not turn into a list of the aches and pains of the congregation. I know that other churches you've been part of turned the church into some sick ward where all that was mentioned of the aches and pains, of the, that's just ordinary and normal. Why are you even telling us about it? We all have them. 
We all have them. Find that in the Bible, where everybody's praying about everyone's aches and pains. There's more important things. I care about your aches and pains, but I care about it with a lesser priority than the Lord Jesus Christ had right here in John 17. And so when you look at section 2 of John 17 and prayer for apostles, look at the three requests. Unity, that they would be one. Safety from the world, because they were going to be persecuted. And holiness, that God's word would sanctify them, that their lives would be changed to match up with God's word. Then we come to section 3. And it's the most important, we're going to say, for us. It's starred in my outline. Because he's praying for us. And he has two prayer requests. Number one, unity. Unity as one in divine sonship. We are the sons of God like Jesus is the son of God. And he's the father. And we are one big family. And we're supposed to be unified together in peace as one. So there it is again. There's no jobs mentioned. There's no houses mentioned, cars mentioned, health mentioned spouses mentioned, I'll pray for any of those things. I just want to see the emphasis in our church on the right things. When the emphasis in our church is on the right things, then we'll bring in the other things a little bit more. Right now, the other things just make me sick. Honest, I'm sorry. I have aches and pains, and I have troubles and things and and temptations you don't know about, and you'll never know about them. Why would I tell you about them? Why would I want to do that? Waste your time. I want to tell you about what my conscience is saying I should be preaching. Okay. John 17, it's a prayer. It's the Lord's prayer. It's Jesus praying. This, it's the Holy of Holies. We've gone through the outer gate, the outer curtain that ran all the way around the circumference of the tabernacle or the wall that went around the temple. We've come through that. We're in the court of the Gentiles. We say we don't want to stay here. We see the big altar. And we go past it, we go past the brass sea where they washed themselves, and we go into the holy compartment of the tabernacle or the temple, and we see the candlestick there, and we see the, we see the table of showbread, and we don't want to stay there because we want to get closer to God. So then we go through the veil. Jesus has made a way, through us, made a way for us through that veil, and we go into the veil, and there are the cherubim, and there's the presence of God. Right, right there. And you don't have to visualize it. You just need to think about being as close to God as possible. And we go into that room, and this is John 17 for us, and there Jesus is with his eyes lifted up to heaven, and he's praying in the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. And what do we hear? The glory of God in verses 1 through 5. Reasoning in verses 6 through 10. Three prayer requests in verses 11 through 19. Unity, safety, and holiness. And then two requests for us. In verses 21 through 23, unity as one, as the sons of God. That we will be one big happy family with peace and no grudges, bitterness down here at all. Bitterness or holding a grudge against someone. This is, I don't ever, I hardly ever quote men in the pulpit. But bitterness or holding a grudge against someone is drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. That's what one commentator said about bitterness. Bitterness is drinking poison, hoping that the other person will die. That's about as intelligent as bitterness is. Unity. There it is again. A spiritual thing of unity and then 
for us to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, those are two very spiritual things that we want to think about each day and that we want to pray about. If you were to make those things your prayer, your chief prayer requests individually, and if we make them as the chief prayer requests of our church, then we're a more spiritual church. We're in the Holy of Holies, wanting to be in the presence of God with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then if He wants to tack on the other things, we'll be blessed. But the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And then the last two verses, Jesus bounces back to the apostles because he's standing there with them. And these are his final words to them before going in to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he reasoned with the Father in verse 25 by their faith in Jesus Christ himself. And then he reasoned by what he was going to do for them. And so he was invoking the Father's help because they were faithful men and because of what he was going to do for them. This is John 12 through 17. I hope that the little page might help you see the the six chapters and the things that we've covered. There are special sections in each chapter. There are special verses in each chapter. Trying to write down a key verse for each chapter is very hard. And you may pick on all six of them if you'd like. Because I'm not going to defend any one of them too far. Because there's there's good verses in every single chapter. And and I trust that God, in, in recent months, and it's been eight months... It was January 28th when I preached the first sermon from John chapter 12. It's been eight months, and I hope that they've been profitable months and that you've learned things about the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles, that the apostles, you may see them in a new light and and the effect they had on the world Mm -hmm. and how here we are in America. And, And when our nation says in God we trust, it isn't Allah and it isn't Buddha and it's not Vishnu, it's Jehovah. Right. A lot of things have happened to this world because of those apostles, as Jesus prophesied. And Jesus was lifted up, and he's drawn all men to himself, including you and me. Amen.